everybody, welcome to Take the Black Live, the weekly show where we recap all the latest bits of Game of Thrones, Songbirds, and Fire news. I am Winter is Coming editor Dan Selke, and I'm here with Cheryl Wassenaar of Culturist. Hi, Cheryl, everyone. how are you doing this day? I am good this day, Dan. How are you? I am well. I'm an easy 8 out of 10. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. Hey, Julie, Emma, Lisa, Daniel, Terry. B- by the way, Julie, I did receive um, your comment about Catelyn Stark. It's in the bank. I think we're going to do it next week because we have a Catelyn for next week. But thank you so much. I love that we're getting interaction with our fans about uh, our read through for Song of Ice and Fire. Oh, I'm excited. It's going to be pretty cool. And if any of you ever have any comments like that, feel free to send them in. But we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. All right. We're here to talk about some Game of Thrones news and get to us on speculation, some other stuff. Let's hit the first big piece of news out today. Let's do it. Okay. The Emmys, Emmy Awards, TV's biggest night. Really shiny things. Shiny things, golden things. Rich folk get together, they dress up nicely, and they hand each other little golden statues. And then they make really long speeches. They make really long speeches. It's a fun night. It I is. I mean, like, uh, uh, award shows, I, I have, like, a weird relationship with it. Like, I, I know they're stupid, but they're still fun to watch. Pretty much. That's, that's what I kind of do. But uh, as usual, Game of Thrones um, sat out last year. Right. Because there was a weird gap in the way the schedule was. But Game of Thrones is back in Emmy contention this year. Season 7 is up for quite a lot of awards, more than any other show, 20-something. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I didn't write it down. But uh, 20-something awards, the highest bit of show. I thought we'd just go over really quickly some of the highlights, some of the snubs, and what we think it'll win. Give me the goods, Dan. Okay. So Game of Thrones at the Emmys this year. Obviously, it won all the technical stuff. I mean, not won. It was nominated for all the technical stuff. Right. You know, hair and costume, production design, all that stuff. The, the, the stuff it's like, it's insane not to give Game of Thrones <laughs> the award for. Yeah. Like, what's going to have better special effects than that? Like, absolutely nothing. This is us? No. Um, the, the, the big one, though, like I said, first question is, do you think it can win Best Drama again? It won it the last two years it was in contention. And then Handmaid's Tale won during its off year. Right. And now it's up against for Best Drama of the Year. Game of Thrones is going up against The Handmaid's Tale, Stranger Things, The Crown, This Is Us, and... Uh, Westworld. Did I miss anything? I think that's it. Okay. It can definitely beat Stranger Things. It can beat This Is Us. It can beat Westworld. Yeah, I think so. I would say it could probably beat The Crown. I will say both The Crown and The Handmaid's Tale are now out of that cool new novelty, oh, they're new, well, let's give them an award area. And... Oh! Uh... Sarah Weymouth is watching. Wick writer Sarah Weymouth is watching. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Good seeing you. Okay, go on. Um, so I would say, obviously, the big competition for it is still The Handmaid's Tale. Probably. But mm-hmm. there's some there the second season of The Handmaid's Tale, which is the one that's in contention here, right. is a, has been a lot more divisive in kind of terms of quality and where it's gone. Um, I know you've you've seen me watch The Handmaid's Tale. I've seen you talk about The Handmaid's Tale. And yeah. like how terrible it makes me feel after I watch it. Mm. Like I have to go take a walk sometimes after I finish an episode of The Handmaid's Tale. Well, can, can I ask? Mm-hmm. Is it the terrible where it's so powerful you have to like decompress, or terrible like that sucked? I gotta like get I'm angry. Depends on the episode that I'm watching. Gotcha. Um, some episodes were really really great. Some episodes were a little more terrible. And like, <laughs> and I don't know if it was the case of the season being longer, so they had to stretch things out more, uh, that was longer. or if it was just that like they were kind of out of book territory, so things were a little 
different, you know. Don't we, know what that's like. Uh, right? What a mystery. Um, so I think it's really between Game of Thrones and The Handmaid's Tale, but I could see where they would give it to Game of Thrones just by virtue of the fact time. that we're still kind of talking about Game of Thrones. It is true. Julie thinks the crown will take it, which I, I can see that too. That's kind of the safe choice, I feel. Yes. Like it's glossy, mm -hmm. it's well done. Mm -hmm. I watched it. Did you watch it? I watched the first season and then I swore off it. Uh, I, I, so. I watched the second too. It was, okay. you know, it's, it's it, glossy is what I want to use. It's like it's very well produced. That's a good word for it. It's, um, it's not particularly daring, but it is well done. So if they want to, if they want to like say, eh, we're going to give all the awards to Game of Thrones next year, let's go with the crown this year, mm. it could happen. I could, I could see where... Westworld, I think, was pretty... Uh, yeah. I, 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 I won't call it a dud, but it didn't uh, set the world on fire like it was going to. So I think that's probably not going to win. No, I'm with you there. Westworld didn't, uh, didn't hit in season right. two as well as it could have. Stranger Things, still fun, but didn't make as many waves as it did the first time. No, and it made people angry, too. Did so, it? Uh, I thought there, it was cute. There were some people who really didn't like the, uh, the one episode that's focused oh, on well, Kali. Oh, blue, but in one out of ten, whatever. Yeah. You can get away with that. <laughs> and, and this is I don't watch. So we'll, so we'll be watching uh, Emmys. I think they're in September, right? Yes. Okay, the other big thing we've got to talk about is the actors. Yes. So let's Nina get into the real drama here. <laughs> Who cares for best drama, best director, whatever? Pretty people. Um, so <laughs> Lena Headey, um, Peter Dinklage, Nikolai Nikolaj Kostowaldo, all up for supporting awards. Yes. I'm happy for Kostowaldo because it's his first time being an Emmy contention ever, mm -hmm. and I think he deserves it. Like Jamie is a great character; he has a great performance, mm -hmm. and he had a good year. Like among the characters, one of the better years, I think. I would they agree had. with you on that. He's actually. I don't. I I found a way to make Game of Thrones a dark horse pick. And it's Costa Waldo for supporting so, actor yeah. over Peter Dinklage. Because even though Peter Dinklage is the one who usually wins the acting awards for Game of Thrones. He has. He's the Costa only one who's ever won an acting award for Game of Thrones. Yes. Twice. Now he has, he has the record for Best Supporting Actor nominations. He does. You know, props for him. But I think Costa Waldo has a real shot to win it. Not only I because do. of the novelty factor, but also because, like... Jamie has had one of the most interesting character arcs in Game of Thrones. Season seven is really the well, culmination of that arc. A big one for him. Like he left yeah. Cersei. He, yeah. He had that great scene where he was charging down Daenerys. Like he did good work. Like you know, Costa Waldo could be like, here's the scene where Jamie leaves Cersei, and here's the scene that where Olenna I scene? the the Olenna scene, and here's where I uh, you know, charge Daenerys, the Olenna scene, and leaving Cersei. There's my Emmy reel. Please hand me my award. That would totally work. I'd be in favor of that. I mean, I would vote for him. So, <laughs> um, I'm not a member of the Television Academy. I wish I were, but I am not. But I not think yet. <laughs> one day. Um, but I think that that is where he could really actually make the make the splash. I mean, it's obviously <laughs> possible for season eight to get him something as well. Sure. But I think I think he's got a real shot here in season seven. I do too. I'm pulling for him. Me um, too. Emma says, if it doesn't have dragons in it, I'm not really interested. Which, you know, <laughs> fair. Totally Absolutely fair. fair. Um, Thomas thinks Hamming's Hill is good, good but disturbing. Maybe I should watch season two. I really haven't. Mm -hmm. And Christina thinks all of them deserve it. But one of the big uh, surprises yes. was that Kit Harrington and Amelia Clark, who played John and Daenerys, were nominated not in the best supporting, but the best actor and best actress categories, mm -hmm. and neither of them were nominated. <laughs> womp, womp, <laughs> like, wow. Which, I mean, it's. I don't know if I'm surprised or not. Like, this is the first time HBO ever nominated actors in Game of Thrones, 
outside of the supporting cast. So they put him in the main categories. Right. Uh, and I, th I think they thought maybe it'll give him a better chance, but it was a gamble that did not pay off. Should they have been nominated among like the big guys <laughs> on this ensemble show? I mean, I'm not surprised that it failed. Mm -hmm. The drama categories in the Emmys, especially Best Actor and Best Actress, are mm -hmm. crowded They're as very all strong. get yeah. out. And I don't know if Harrington and Clark were the right choices for it anyway. I legitimately would have put Peter Dinklage and Lena Headey in. You think so? I mean... They are main characters of the show. I mean, they, uh, yeah, it, it almost irritated me that they were even elevating any one person to, like, main right. status. Right, right. When it's been an ensemble for so long. Exactly. Like, if you had to do the gambit, I don't think I would have picked either Kit Harrington or Amelia Clark in the first place. So it doesn't surprise me that they didn't make it in anyway. I mean, I, I do think as the story gets to the end, right. you know, it's, it's okay for people to kind of rise up and be... Sure. I mean, we went seven out of eight years without having leads. It's fine. You've earned the right to do it. Go ahead. <laughs> We're, we, but, um, we've moved past it. I mean, in, in a crowded field, do you know off the top of your head who, who was nominated in some of those fields or anybody? I can't remember. I oh, uh, Sterling K. Brown. Yeah. I want to say Milo Ventig yeah, Ventiglia yeah, he is. is in Good pronunciation, drama. too. I gave it a shot. Um, and then I want to say it's not Coleman. It's Claire Foy. Yes, Claire Foy is definitely up there. Uh, and Elizabeth Moss. And I believe Matt Smith, unless he's supporting. Uh, Matt Smith might have been supporting, but I'm not sure off the top of my head. Cool. Um, but I would say that, you know, when you have these kind of titans of drama, mm -hmm. like, and especially when you consider that Game of Thrones has so many nominations otherwise, yeah. I could see where the Academy would kind of pass them over in the, the main categories here. I can too. Although, um, I am, I'm pulling for, my pick is for Coster Waldo. I hope Jamie takes it home this year. I think he deserves it. He's never been nominated before. So go Jamie. Go Jamie. The one, the only award I really want them to win, though, and I, and I think they will. Tell me if you think I'm wrong, is uh, Diana Rigg for Best Guest Actress in a Drama. This is her third time up for the award. Yep. Arguably, this was her, even though she didn't have many scenes, she she went out on a really good note. <laughs> yeah. And it's the last time they'll be able to award her for this role, and then clearly mm -hmm. they like her in it because they've given her nominations already. So I think I think this is the year that Diana Rigg takes it home as Lady Olena for Best Guest Actress. Yeah. I think she totally deserves it. I totally agree with you. Um, here, here's Diana Rigg's Emmy reel. Be a dragon speech. And then the end. That's and it. then the end. Remember, it's just a guest actress, so she can't have too many scenes. Exactly. Pick those two in your set. Yeah, you're good. Because that scene... Those are literally her two scenes. <laughs> yeah. But, like... Those two scenes do so much work, not only for her character, mm -hmm. but for the show as a whole. Like, yeah, Be a stuff. Dragon is the kind of thing that you... That's a t-shirt. That's a t-shirt. You should get an Emmy if you make a shirt. <laughs> you can make a t-shirt out of a line. Like, that's a rule. I wish it were a rule. It's Isn't really it great not... that, like, an 85-year-old or whatever is, mm -hmm. like, having her lines on t-shirts and, like, having little dolls made of her? It's just so fun. It's kind of great, honestly. But even, you know, tell Cersei I want her to know it was me. Damn, like, good stuff. you deliver that line with the kind of acid. Mm -hmm. It's just... It's, it's perfect. It is a chef's kiss of a moment. I'd and be shocked if she didn't win. No, if she doesn't so take that's it, what I'm we riot. Otherwise, I'm sure it'll do well. The real thing is going to be season eight. I'm sure it's going to get nominated for, like, absolutely everything and maybe mm -hmm. win everything. That's when they'll finally give it to, like, finally, Nahedi, here's your statue. Just take it. <laughs> I wish. I wish she gets it now, but she should, she should have had a lot more than what she 
Well, I can't. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see, and that'll yeah. be in September. Yes. All right. Moving on from the awards, uh, Dershner says, the It Was Me mic drop, great uh, moment. Lisa Flores says Diana Rigg stole every scene she was in, definitely deserves an Emmy, totally agree, and I think she will get one. All right, let's go over some new stuff for Game of Thrones season eight. We're still having things leak out a little bit. Of course. Um, you know, filming's over, but it doesn't mean the news has stopped <laughs> somehow. I don't know, just it's like the way magic. it works. Um, Watchers on the Wall fan site has news about a new character being added to season eight. They got wind of a new actress who's going to be in it. Mm-hmm. Hope I say this right. Um, an English actress named Laura Elfinstone, which is a great name, by the way. It's what I'm going to name my next fantasy character. Exactly. But then we have a, a look at her here. Mm-hmm. She's going to be playing a character. In, she is the one in the bed, by the way, not the one giving birth. This is from Call the Midwife, a BBC show about calling the midwife and she'll be in Game of Thrones season 8 as a character named Nora don't yes. know who it'll be it'll be a minor character right someone mm-hmm. you know at Winterfell or the twins or King's Landing like a peasant or something I'm not do you know do, do you happen to see like the Express had a ridiculous article about is Laura Elphinstone gonna play the Night's Queen I'm like come on what? man <laughs> what? they're they're really big I'm just like let's put the craziest thing we can and then get clicks. <laughs> Not that I'm above that, but they, 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 they go whole hog. Ooh, that's the good stuff right there. It's good. I like it a lot. I, 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 I disagree. I do not yes. think she'd be playing the Knights. I think she'd be playing like a cook or a minor lord's wife or something. Yeah, I don't think we're going full-blown Knights Queen here. Yeah. But you know what? Which surprise us. <laughs> so that's fun. The Knights Queen. Oh, boy. And then I also have to bring up uh, something that Hathpor Julius Bjornsson, who plays uh, the Mountain, what? It's a great name. It is a good name. I love his name. Uh, Said on Instagram stories, someone basically asked him, what's your favorite scene you've ever been in a Game of Thrones? And he said, uh, it happens in season eight, so I can't speak about it. Any ideas? Waggle your glasses. Um, pretty much everyone is saying it's Clegane Bowl. It's got to be, right? Um, I mean, if it's not Clegane Bowl, the only other thing I could think of is maybe he's involved in King's Landing and it's like some crazy scene where he like duels Burn against... Up or kills Cersei or he, something. He like duels the Night King or something. I don't know. No, but I, I've, I've Clegane Bowl or bust, maybe. It makes the most sense. You know, I've always... Because I've always, he's been like very low-key like the past... Really the past like three years... Like, he had that great fight against the mountain, which is iconic. Everyone remembers it. And then the next, the next year, he was just lying on a table and then carried <laughs> Cersei. The next year, he smashed a guy's head and stood in a doorway so Tommen couldn't leave. And the next year, did he do anything? He just stood there while Cersei gave proclamations. Like, they're keeping him around for something. Absolutely. That's always what I've thought. So now <laughs> time's run out. It's time for that something to actually happen. I'm sure he'll, Give us our he'll do something interesting. Give us a payoff. Like, it's three years in the background doing almost nothing. I mean, the entire job of the mountain is to stand around and be intimidating, though. True. So, he does it very well. And he can't, can't speak. So he, his options are limited anyway, Dan. The, the, they're so clever about that, too, because the right. guy is just like, he's a strongman bodybuilder. Like, he's not an actor, and he has a really thick accent. So, like, you know what? Yep. We're going to work to your strengths. Just stand there and look tall and intimidating. That, that'll work. Excellent. Good work. And he's great at it. Good he's, for him. He is impressively intimidating. So I am going to uh, 
I look forward to seeing whatever he tears up next time. Really quick, a comment from Melissa. I know it won't happen, but it would be great. Oh, if Elena had an antidote to the poison, she's still alive. One of my faves. That would be great, but uh, I doubt it. That would be kind of Dallas level. <laughs> it would be. Terrible twist. And Emma says, well, it has to be. It, it, it pretty much does have yeah. to be. And even though it's a little fan service I'll take it. I'm a fan. I'll service me. <laughs> Just this once. Yes, just just this one time, guys. Give us what we want. And finally, about season eight, uh, a new quote from Sophie Turner, given yes. her interview rounds after it's over. Mm-hmm. A little pinch of what Sans might be doing next season. I'm going to read you a quote from Sophie Turner. Sansa Stark. Sansa is a real, true leader of Winterfell now, and that's where we first see her as a very protective, empowered lady in charge. It's the first time you ever see her like that, and it's so amazing to see her like that, kind of owning her destiny. What do you think, Cheryl? As a fan of Sansa, where does that put you? Sansa's Lady of Winterfell. Just give her the title. Let her be Lady of Winterfell. (laughs) Let me live my best life here. Game of Thrones. It should be fun. But, I mean, there's a legitimate way she could become Lady of Winterfell. She already is Lady of Winterfell. She already is, but, like, actually have the title and, like, be the actual, like, you know, Warden S of the North, if you will. I have wondered that, like, you know, if... uh... If it's revealed that John's a Targaryen, and then right. he has to kind of have that army, mm-hmm. the person he'd leave in charge of Winterfell's got to be Sansa. Exactly. I mean, but beyond like, that, permanently, right? But beyond that, like, you know, if you're a ruler, you don't have other territory. It's like the Baratheons, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Renly's Lord Storm's End, Stannis is Dragonstone. Robert doesn't have anything aside from King's Landing, and so it's <laughs> pretty good. If Jon Snow becomes you know, Daenerys is consort, Lord Consort, whatever, you know. Consort, boy, toy, husband, whatever, something uh, like that. Take your pick. Sure. Um, he probably won't have hold a, another title right. aside from that. So who's left is basically Sansa. Be fun. Be it would be time. fun. Sansa's Lady of Winterfell 2K19. It's coming. I need it in my life. I'm pulling for her really hard at this point, in part because mm-hmm. I like the character, in part because a lot of people don't, and that makes me just want to root for her so much. The contrariness really helps, yeah. <laughs> it does. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay, so that's cool. Go for Sansa. We all love her. Team Sansa. And finally, um, about the Game of Thrones prequels, going forward, we've heard a lot about that lately. Empire of Ash, Age mm-hmm. of Heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, according to a local publication called the Sunday Herald, HBO is scouting locations in the beautiful Isle of Skye in Scotland, spelled S-K-Y-E, the Isle of Skye, which... It's uh, really pretty. Can't you just see it? So the, and this would be for the Age of Heroes, people, the one set thousands of years before Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. children of the forest everywhere, untamed primeval Westerosi landscape. There we go. Good stuff. fires towering into the sky, forests as far as the eye can see. Mysterious magic everywhere in wonder. <laughs> you got that little accent at the end there. It was perfect. I'm trying to set the scene. Um, I'm a narrator. You, you've, you've done it for me. It, the scene is set. Um, it's cool. It I is mean, really pretty. Of course. And that just means, you know, uh, hopefully we can look forward to uh, some new photogs being in new parts of the world, <laughs> snapping pictures as actors crawl around uh, yeah. doing their scenes. We, we support it. Take and if pictures. any of you live in Scotland... Um, Enjoy and tip us off to things that are happening there. Oh, for sure. Cool. And uh, Dershney asks, what if Sansa and Tyrion get together in the end? I'd be down for that. It could totally work. Kathy thinks Who's... the Hound and Brienne might team up and kill the mountain. I could also be with that. I support that scene. Who's getting together with Sansa? 
possibly Tyrion, according to uh, Miss Sidema. Uh, I would be probably okay you know with that. I, I would be okay with it. You in don't this, ship it. I don't ship it. <laughs> I, I do not sail on that ship. Um, I think what I would really like is for like the this more mature Sansa, who is now a, one hell of a political operator, to kind of work together with Tyrion. That'd be fun. Like, not necessarily, like, as a ship so much as, like, a partnership of, yeah, not a relationship, a partnership, instead of a, you know, like, getting the marriage back on or something. I hear you. Why limit the word ship to just one kind of use? We have multiple ships. expand it. A veritable armada of ships, if you will. Oh, that's nice. All right, everybody. Um, I'm done. No, No, I'm just kidding. Before we bring on uh, Josh Hill for A Song of Dan and Josh, we're going to try something a little bit new. We love you all for watching us. Love the show so much. Game of Thrones is so wonderful. But you know, here, Cheryl, there are other shows in TV besides Game of Thrones. And we thought we'd try a little something new really quick. What? Just talk about something else that's uh, intriguing us right now and that maybe you're interested in too. Bring so, it on. Okay. We're going to call this new segment Meanwhile in Entertainment or something else better when I think about it. All right, Cheryl. New Damn. bit of non-Game of Thrones-related news I find interesting. Okay. Joss Whedon, creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Firefly, Dollhouse, Avengers director, quite a rap sheet, um, is going to make a new drama for HBO. Read a, me the description, Dan. It's called The Nevers, and it is an epic science fiction drama about a gang of Victorian women who find themselves with unusual abilities, relentless enemies, and a mission that might change the world. Now, as I'll admit it, as a long time Joss Whedon, like I was there when Buffy began. I was into Buffy hardcore. Don't ask how old was I there. was when Buffy premiered. Okay. And um, <laughs> I, I have followed his career, and it, it, he, he's at an interesting place right now because obviously he went through this uh, cheating on his wife scandal. Yes. But now HBO is hiring him to make a new splashy show, kind of cognizant with their new mission statement to make more content. What do you think of this new development? Well, if you had just read me to this description, Mm -hmm. I would have said, sign me up, Dan. This is interesting. This is the kind of content I like to see in the world. And then you said Joss Whedon, and I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. No, I do not (laughs) want this anymore. No. No. For what it is, Buffy is a product of its time. Probably. I haven't watched it in a while. I wonder if it aged. It, it's aged not well in some cases, but it's aged. Mm-hmm. And Buffy, for what it is, for a 90s, early 2000s show, is great. Like, there's a reason we still look to Buffy Summers as a great female TV character. Still an icon, yeah. Still an icon. But the world has moved past Buffy in the sense that we expect more of women on TV. We expect more, and I don't know if Joss Whedon is capable of adapting to the times because like he had a big hand in Age of Ultron and that is the source of the terrible, terrible Bruce and Natasha side story. To be fair, I mean, that production was crazy. The Age of Ultron production, he had like so many demands on him. I don't want to defend him too hard here, but... I forgive him nothing. Making a a this. big multi with all everything that movie needed to be was going to be difficult. Yeah, and he got out of there after that, and he chose to incorporate the 
my big deal is what happens to Black Widow in Age of Ultron because this is the movie where she has the big, you know, I can't have children. It's so bad. And like that is that is a terrible choice on so many levels. And, you know, this is someone who got off, you know, he got kicked off. Well, he didn't get kicked off Batgirl, but like, yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, I signed up for Batgirl, but I don't have a story. And so at this point, I think the world has kind of moved past what Joss Whedon is capable of in terms of producing good female TV characters. Like this show, the concept of it mm-hmm. has me going like, yes, please, I want it. And kind then like, like Penny Dreadful or Extraordinary Gentleman. Yes. Victorian women is what it sounds like to me. Yes. And I love Penny Dreadful. It's a good show. It is a good show. And if you haven't watched it, please do. It's great. Um, but like, I don't know if I trust Joss Whedon with the concept anymore. I can hear that. He, yeah. he has, I mean, I think it's unfair to say that he, I mean, he has done work since Buffy. Like Avengers, whether we love Age of or not, Avengers is maybe one of the big tentpole blockbusters of the past decade. Sure. And he was a big part of it. And I know his star has been falling a little bit. I, I don't know if this is going to be his comeback or this will be the nail in his coffin. We'll have to see. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about it. It does sound a little twee to me, like Victorian yeah. superheroes. Yeah. But, I mean... Steampunk is big. It is... Is it? Right now? Steampunk? Steampunk has never really gone away, I guess, That's would true. be the, it's, the it's more accurate way of putting background that. Background noise for a long time. <laughs> so we'll find out. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's an intriguing idea. Julie loves... Julie loves Penny Dreadful. I do too. I'm actually in the middle of watching it for the first time. It's really, really it's a, it's really solid. I watched I watched it um, with my mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched a lot of weird things with my mom. I showed my mom the first episode of Game of Thrones, <laughs> like while I always was, fun showing your parents that show. Right after I had my wisdom teeth taken out, so it was a great time. Um, but yeah, no, Penny Dreadful is amazeballs, and more people should have watched it, and they should read the comics too. Cool. Yes. Anyway, that was Meanwhile Entertainment. Might Meanwhile. try it again. We'll see. Thank Big you so trust. much, Cheryl. Mm-hmm. We'll see of you course, next Dan. week on Wednesday. And now I'd yeah. like to bring Actually, on... Actually, you won't see me next week on Wednesday. Oh, right. I'm going to be on a boat. But I will see all of you nice people in the start of August. Cool. So, bye, everyone. Anyway, and now I'd like to bring on fans-headed editor Josh Hill for a segment we call A Song of Dan and Josh. Josh has never read the Song of Ice and Fire books. I have read them all multiple times. We're going to talk about them, walk through them chapter by chapter, pick them apart. What makes them work? Why are they good? Why aren't they good? If they're never not good, which they never are. Um, we're still on A Game of Thrones, the first book in the series. Oh, yeah. And today we read uh, Tyrion 7 and Sansa 5. Yeah. Josh, how are you? I'm good. Hello, everybody. Hello, Julie. Thanks for sending in that. Catlin thing. We looked yes. it over. It was we did really look at it, Julie. It was really cool. Was really I, th- I think we're going to keep it till next week because there's a Catlin chapter we'll do next week. So we're going to address your comment then. But I love that you sent it in, and I, I love the idea of having discussions with you guys. Yeah. Anybody uh, wants to send in their comments about our talk, feel free. We will totally talk about it. Oh, yeah. All right. So let's get into the chapters for this week. Let's do it. Tyrion 7. Tyrion is with the Vale Clansmen. Mm-hmm. Clans. I can't say that. The it was the, the Clans people. <laughs> <laughs> and they bring him to Tywin Lannister's uh, 
kind of army encampment. Yeah. What goes down in this chapter? What stood out to you about it, Josh? It's still, well, first of all, the, you put this in your notes too, and I noticed it too, the, mm-hmm. the Monty Python-esque nature that's of these what, guys. That's like, what it said to me. Like the Holy Grail type. I was getting like Holy Grail vibes from these like doofuses who are like, <laughs> they're just they're like, one guy didn't, didn't one guy get his job? Leading the group because he poked his own eye out. The, the, <laughs> like, the, 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 there's a description of, of one of the, the the Vale clan's like tribe leaders, yeah. and Tyrion says that you know the the, the burned men, the way they show strength, they cut off parts of the, like they wound themselves, <laughs> and that proves they're tough. And the yeah. leader poked out his own eye, which I mean, I, I guess I get it. That means you're like tougher than anybody, but also you're a warrior. Don't you need to see? Yeah. The, and, and then they had that thing about like. They all get together when they talk. They they think that everybody needs to have their say. So yeah. we can just go on. For, it's like an int moot. They just go yeah. on forever and ever and ever. And there's just something kind of silly and goofy about them that did like say Monty Python to me when it I was did. reading it. I also thought of there's a scene in The Simpsons where the, it's the episode where Homer calls up all of the old Simpsons relatives, the distant relatives, because Lisa thinks at some age she's going to start getting dumb. That's a good the idea. Simpson gene. And they're all they all look like Homer. And she looks out the window being like, there's hope, there's hope. And she looks out and they're all in a circle and two of them wearing pots on their heads and running <laughs> at each other. And that's what I thought of this too. I could just see them around like the encampment doing like, oh, poke my eye out. And it's like, oh, cut my finger off. And like all these <laughs> things. So, but they're warriors. They're, yeah. they're the clan's people, not clansmen. I'm not sure if it was Tyrion's situation, but they had a lot of fun with them. They did. I mean, like Tyrion had some good bon mots here. Like, you know, <laughs> he described one as, uh, what is it said? Uh, Shaga, son of Dolph, is the one who looks like Castley Rock with hair. Something like that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, they're talking about the burn men. They all cut stuff off, and then Tyrion's like, I wonder what their king burned off to Bronn. <laughs> Bronn's like, <clears throat> then, like, grabs his crotch, goes, you yeah. know, they're making, they're making jokes. A little classic Bronn. And also, I like the idea of, so Tyrion's, like, leading them through Tywin's camp, and there's yeah. a description of them, like, just, like, staring agog because, like, they'd never seen a tent before. Yeah. They'd never seen, like, anything this advanced, even though it's not that advanced. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, people, they actually put up, like, tents and mm-hmm. pavilions, and they have armor and knights. And which brings us to the, the serious side of it, which is uh, Tyrion's trying to impress them. Yep. Because the, the point of this chapter, I feel, besides the comedy, is the power play nature of it. Mm-hmm. It starts out right at the top. There's confusion. Like, no one seems to know... Is Tyrion leading these Vale clans people? Have has he become the person who's like they do, do they work for him now, mm-hmm. or is he their hostage and they're holding him ransom until Tywin can pay them the weapons and the armor they want? Mm-hmm. And the, 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 it, it's because the clans don't really talk to each other and because they have that weird meeting thing. No one really knows. Yeah. And Tyrion kind of does a old leadership strategy. If you don't know who's the leader. Just act like the leader <laughs> until it becomes true. Yeah. Is basically what he does. So they have this thing where they're like, you will take us to your father. <laughs> and he's like, okay, you, 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 come with me. Let's go. And then he just like rides off and they're like, I, I guess we got to follow him. Mm-hmm. So he, he's trying to, it, it, it's not, so he sees that there, there is no real leader chosen. So he's like, yeah. I'm just going to act like the leader until I am the leader. Yeah. And they kind of have to comply. And then seeing the crazy technology of Tywin's camp reinforces that. I think he says, uh, better and better. The more impressed they were with the power of the Lannisters, the easier they would be to command. Mm-hmm. So it's this very interesting sort of nebulous power vacuum, and the whole chapter is about trying to fill it, I feel. Yeah, for sure. It, 
when Tyrion was riding past too, I just had like in my mind, <laughs> there's like the cutaway of one of the guys being like, oh, that guy's so serious about you. Cut off his own legs, you know. The, the, you know <laughs> totally. Perfect comedy. But yeah, the, the power struggle between the two, with Tyrion and Tywin, their relationship on the show, and I'm assuming in the books here, is fascinating. Just the, it's it's the also pretty faithful. Like the, the yeah. show does their relationship, I think, very close to the books. Yeah, because at his heart, it's you know, there's the line, and you wrote it down too, about like every time Tywin looks at Tyrion, Ty, or Tyrion feels his. Yeah, he's he's really aware of his deformities and shortcomings. Yeah, and it's like at his heart, you know, as back and forth as they go, I feel like he's just a guy who wants his father to love him totally the Absolutely. way that he is and tywin is never ever 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 gonna be that guy which is also kind of why there's this it was interesting to me the power struggle because he's almost showing off he's showing off tywin oh totally like look i have these clans people who follow me now sort of kind yeah of. and it's like you know the uh the old fredo from uh Godfather, Godfather you know, like, I'm not stupid, I'm smart. And he's like, right. look, and he's proving it. He's like, I'm smart. Look, I can corral yeah. these, these. He actually is smart. These, Fredo's a dunder. Yeah, it's true. But like that, I was thinking of that too, because he's like, I can corral these mountain doofuses into, into, <laughs> into being. Me, yeah, yeah, but he's like, I'm smarter than these guys. And, he, and in Tywin's eyes, or at least in Tyrion's eyes, he thinks that Tywin sees him as just another mountain guy who will poke his eye out. Which he kind of does. Yeah, and tell that. Tyrion's like, no, I'm... I'm way up here and these guys are way below me. I'm more on your level than you want to give me credit for. So that's exactly. why I think that was, that was kind of a powerful gesture for, for Tyrion to go after there. I, ha I have to turn off the iPad so I can't see your comments <laughs> now. Oh, no. But okay, I'll say something else that you could talk and I'll put it back on. Um, yeah, I completely agree with you. Mm -hmm. that, that It's about that. And also, then when Tyrion takes them in, continue with that power play theme, Tywin flips it again. And then he fills the vacuum immediately. Because yep. then he steps in and says... Oh, who are your friends? And Tyrion introduces them, and they're funny too. Like, here's Shaga, son of Dolph, and Dolph, son of Dolph, and stuff like that. And then Tywin steps in and says, if you fight for me, you, we will give you more weapons and armor. And then they're like, why should we fight for you? We have your son. You have to give us what you want. And he's like, oh, okay, I get it. The northern warriors are really, really fierce and angry. I get it. You don't want to fight them. It's fine. They're like, no, we'll fight the northern warriors. Don't fight the northern warriors. Which is, again, kind of Monty Python. Yeah. I think it's kind of funny. And it works. And I think Tyrion has a little thought bubble where he's like, oh, definitely done. So Tywin is stepping into the power vacuum that Tyrion stepped into earlier, which yeah. again kind of underlines that they are very similar. Mm -hmm. They both always look for the angle. They're both always trying to kind of fill vacuums. And they use their intelligence to do it, yeah. which just makes it, again, ironic that they have such an adversary relationship. When they, when, if they talked for a second, I think they discovered that they are alike in a lot of ways, yeah. Tyrion and Tywin. Oh, yeah. And that's the tragedy, really, of the yes, relationship, is too, the tragedy. is that they're so similar. And you could have, in an alternate universe, in an alternate Westeros, they make up and it's, they come together and there's this big redemption moment, whereas we know that's oh, not going to happen, no. which is the tragedy of Tyrion's never going to know his father loves him because his father doesn't love him. And it's mm -hmm. not... You know, a lot of times these stories are told and we get some, like, romantic ending where the father realizes that his son is somebody. His son is an extension of him, and he is going right. to love his son for who he is no matter what. And George R. R. Martin is basically like, nah, not, not here. We're not doing <laughs> not that here, happen. which it is ends true. ends in the most humiliating way possible. And it's like, that's kind of heightened, the, the or oh, Tywin's death. But, like, that's to, speaking to those, those stories don't always have happy endings. So we have these reflections of real life almost in, in Westeros and this relationship of 
they, there's not always a, a, a cheesy, gooey center to these lost relationships. Sometimes they're right. just broken, and no matter how much we want them to come together, there's always going to be the heads butting. So true. I will say, I, I never really like thought like, oh, Tywin, just hug your son. I, I don't know. I guess I never. Really, <laughs> I, I never like even got that far because he's just so cold to him. He is. But you're right. In another universe, they could have been like really good allies and friends, and just for whatever reason, I mean, because Tyrion. You know, his mom died in childbirth. Yeah. Also, Tywin hates the idea of a dwarf for a son. Mm-hmm. I also like how he, like, makes references to Jamie and, like, your brother's doing so great right now, covering himself in glory. Right. I can give you some guys. You won't botch it, will you? Yeah. Like, it's clear who the favorite son is. Oh, yeah. And then Jamie hates Tywin for his own reasons. Mm-hmm. So, that family is just <laughs> really unpleasant. Uh, Tony Roberts says... Tony Roberts? Tony Roberts. Oh, we got a lot spelled, of famous people spelled, watching this show. Spell <laughs> T-O-N-I. No, oh. So, not that Tony Roberts. I think this chapter helps establish that Tyrion can be a leader and starts to build that aspect of him before we reach the, the Blackwater battle later on in the books. I think you're totally right, Tony. Mm-hmm. It's because, I mean, Tyrion hasn't really been a leader for much of his life. He's kind of bought no. into Tywin's, um, you know, uh, fiction of him as useless and worthless. And we're, we're seeing the first steps, but he always had it in him. And he'll grow and grow and grow. And... Uh, I think, as you said, hoping to gain some approval. Yeah. Even if he doesn't want to admit it to himself. I mean, just... The tragedy is he never will. And then it'll be too late because time will be dead in the toilet. No validation. No. Julie says, I always hoped time was going to come around a bit, but knew he was lacking good fathering skills. That is an understatement. Julie's on the ball. (laughs) We completely agree with you. Oh, and Emma thinks there might be a bit of jealousy between them, which is possible, too. Yeah. All right. Anything else about uh, Kyrian Seven? Uh, did you read uh, Tywin's description as mutton chops? I thought oh, it was yeah, mutton that chops bit. that he I had. He's like down. balding with mutton chops. I was like, this is not what you look like yeah. on the show, man. Charles Dance did a. Uh, I thought they did a really good job with Tywin. You know the spirit of him, but <laughs> yeah. they definitely cut out his weird ass haircut mm-hmm. in the show. I'm just gonna read the description. When his once thick golden hair began to recede, Tywin had commanded his barber to shave his head. Lord Tywin not believe in half measures. He razored his lip and chin as well, but kept his side whiskers, two great thickets of wiry golden hair that covered most of his cheeks from ear to jaw. Yeah. So he has like an Amish beard, Tywin, and a bald head. Yeah. Not how he was in the show. No. I think we would have laughed ourselves silly if he had it in the show. So good call on the part <laughs> of HBO. All right. Can I move on to Sansa? Let's do it. Sansa. All right. Sansa 5. We are back in King's Landing, mm-hmm. and I think this whole scene, chapter six, in the King in the Red Keep throne room, with uh, Joffrey is holding his his first session mm-hmm. at court, which is just the way government works back then. <laughs> a king sits in a chair or a queen. People just come up to him and be like, "I want this, yes or no. I want this, yes or no." Or in Joffrey's case, like yes, no, or just behead him. Mm-hmm. And uh, how does it go? Well, and I also, before we get into that, just the commentary of that's how government works and then it's run by a child. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's great. Um, Barristan, he's... Monarchies aren't good. No. For this reason. Because, yeah, 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 you might get a good person. You might get someone like freaking Joffrey. Yeah. So you can never tell. You never know. Uh, so Barristan gets fired. Yes, Barristan <laughs> gets fired from and the he, King's Guard. He causes a scene. He does. Quite a scene. Takes off his armor, threatens to kill his uh, King's Guard compatriots. Yeah. Jo- uh, Joffrey gets a little... Uh, like, says right up there, maybe Stannis will take your throne, and then just walks out of there like a boss. Yeah, and then Joffrey gets a little bummed Flustered. out. He throws a little bit of a, a hissy fit, and <laughs> so, he's like, come on. He's no, he he's, called me boy. Yeah, he's got to respect me. It's like, all right, bud. Um, and the Hound, 
refuses to get knighted. That, that was a, uh, mm -hmm. that, that stood out to me. I was like, of course, of course he's not going to want that. But yeah, he yeah, hates knights and knighthood. He does. But it, to me, the, this chapter was kind of about setting in motion Cersei's plan. This is Cersei totally. moving the pieces on the chessboard. It was less about, and this, it kind of encapsulated to me what she's all about, the smoke and mirrors that she's all about. Because the chapter essentially, if you look, if you gloss it over and look at it, is Barristan Selmy gets fired and mm -hmm. it's the, the hound, hound gets promoted. The hound gets guard. promoted and Joffrey throws a fit. Where it's underneath that, the context of it, of Cersei's moving these pieces into place. Absolutely, yeah. And that's how she operates. That's how she's gone. That's how she plays the game. And mm -hmm. we've seen it on the show. She, everybody knows who she is, but nobody knows the moves that she's making. And Ned even was like, I don't know about this. And he figured it out. And of course, told her. And that was stupid. But <laughs> to, to me, this, this, this chapter was... I'm going to kidnap you. Okay. Right? This chapter is all about how Cersei operates. And it was like almost acted as a metaphor to me or like it was it was interesting in that it wasn't about what it was actually about. And now we're moving, you, yeah. we're moving into the mystery. We were, we're kind of done with the noir Ned stuff, which was the case every time we went to. Yeah, it's to interesting that like we completely drop John Aaron's murder. Like no one cares about it anymore yeah. because <laughs> it, it never really mattered to begin with. No, and now and, and, and now the MacGuffin is over. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the, the, the best part about it, too, is it's a chapter about two, a guy getting fired, mm -hmm. that, about another guy throwing promoted, a fit, yeah. and another guy getting promoted, mm -hmm. and the moves of Cersei, and it's a Sansa chapter. So, I mean, <laughs> like, that's, I think, is it, the best thing about it. Yeah. That it, it's what, it, it's another, it's, it's smart thing about this point of view structure, because if this chapter was from mm -hmm. Cersei's perspective, it'd be completely different. It would yeah. be like... Okay, and now, okay, so now it's time for the Hound to get promoted <laughs> yeah. because she arranged all this. So yeah. she and Littlefinger and Barris and myself all work together to like make up a schedule. Mm -hmm. Okay, now again, on Slint, we're going to promote him. We're going to give up this award. He's going to receive this person. But it's interesting because it's from Sansa's perspective because she doesn't know any of that. Mm -hmm. She just sees it, and we have to infer that what's happening is it's kind of what happens after any new government. Mm -hmm. They're rearranging people. Yeah. It's like when, you know, Trump came into office, he fired the people who Obama appointed, and then he mm -hmm. hired his own people. Yeah. This is the exact same thing. They're firing Barris and Selmy, who's been on the King's Guard forever and is too old, mm -hmm. and they're hiring their guy. The yep. Hound is their guy, so mm -hmm. he's the one loyal to them, although they think he's loyal to them, but he'll, <laughs> he'll do other stuff. They promote uh, Yano Slint, who is the guy who... Uh, help betray Ned. He was in charge of the city guard and he turned on Ned's men and had yeah. them killed in the king's, king's room. And they promote, they give him a Heron Hall, mm -hmm. which is a big old castle. And there's this nice bit where, um, I'm going to read it out loud, where uh, proud lords whose houses went back thousands of years made way reluctantly for the balding frog-faced commoner as he marched past. So Yannis is kind of like this new money guy yeah. who's being promoted for his service. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, it's like any other government. They're, this guy helped him on the campaign, basically. So, okay, we're going to give you a cushy position. And but people might not like it, that kind of thing. And again, the great, great thing about it is that Sansa just doesn't really know any of this stuff. But we, but we can infer it. Like, it's a bit at the beginning where Sansa's like, she's in the Great Hall. There are about 20 lords here. Usually there are 80. It seems so quiet in here. And the question is, where are the rest of them? They're off joining Stannis. They're off joining Renly. They're off picking sides. And, but Sansa doesn't care about that. She is focused, you know, understandably, on making the plea for her dad is what, is what her, where her priorities are right now. Yeah, and the fact that all of this is happening in front of her eyes and she mm -hmm. doesn't see it is 
perfect because yeah. that's exactly how Cersei gets into power and is able to enact all of these plans that she has is she's doing it in broad daylight there's not she's not like she's going to some like secret meeting in the legion of doom or something like that and and making all these things happen it's happening in front of of Sansa in front of everybody yeah. like even the bit of like she's because Cersei is sticking to a script she has an, an idea of what she wants to happen mm-hmm. and when and when Barristan goes off the rails and and has mm-hmm. his little moment and Joffrey gets bothered by it Cersei has to step in and she reassures him she's like all right don't worry about you know and like even that it's like she is playing her script out Cersei's playing oh, yeah. her she's script out mastering the thing and Sansa is oblivious even though it's all happening right in front of her. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, she's not looking for it, but that's the point. So yeah, that's, that's great. I thought that was brilliant by George R. R. Martin. How about Sansa's big moment, though? So her big ending moment of the chapter thing yep. is she gets in front of there. She petitions Joffrey. She pleads for mercy, for clemency, for Ned. Oh, Sansa. Yeah, she doesn't <laughs> know what she's doing. I don't think that, that this was part of the script either. I mean, I think she's just going there. But it's, it's fun that Cersei quickly, like, sees it. Yep. It's like, okay, she's pleading for mercy. She still thinks Joffrey's a nice guy. Whatever, sweet girl. Um, and she says, like, okay, you know, maybe we can do that if Ned confesses. So she's, she's seen a way out of this whole Rob situation where if Ned just confesses his crimes and we send him back, that'll pacify everything. And then Joffrey can be in the throne and just keep it. And we can mm-hmm. fight Stannis or whatever, but at least we won't have the Rob to deal with. Yeah. So that, that, that's what's in her. But again, like you said, it's, it's under the surface. We have to infer that. It would be fascinating to get this chapter like, from Cersei's perspective because it would be completely different. She'd be like, where are those ungrateful 80 lords? I wonder where they are. I'm going to kill them all. Bring their necks. And then she's like, and she smiled nicely and said, oh, Sansa, would you do this? And uh, so for Sansa, she's just making this um, impassioned plea. And Joffrey does promise that uh, her words have move, moved him and he will honor them. No, he's not going to do oh, that. Oh, Sansa. I almost like it better that we didn't get this from Cersei's perspective. Yeah. Because, like you said, we can picture all of those things going on in her head. Mm-hmm. But all we see is the smile. All we see is the, the superficial, what she's trying to put like forward. the pageantry and yeah. the script of it. Yeah, well, it's like if you go back and reread the chapter, you can kind of get inside of Cersei's head without being in Cersei's head. So it's totally kind of can. a cool thing where it's like, you're reading it, and she's smiling. She's reassuring Joffrey, and she's reassuring Sansa. But she, in her head, she's doing what you just said, where she's like, ah, she's working through it all. But oh, because we can't see it, the inner workings of her head, that's what makes it such more, so much more of a diabolical plan that she has going on here, because it is such a, you know, secret thing that she's doing. Yeah. I will say, I, I'm, I have my problems with the, with the last two books, but the Cersei chapters are lit. <laughs> like, she's just angry all the time, and it's so great and so much fun. They should put that little quote on the back of the book. The Cersei chapters are lit. They're Dan lit. Selkie. They're lit Winter's as Winter's coming. Uh, Tony says, I think this chapter is the first time Sansa is exposed to the politics involved in ruling and how mm. a new power reorganizes the players in the game. I completely agree. I think it's something that's going over her head. But um, again, we're approaching the moment where she kind of has the rude awakening and has to pay more attention to yeah. what's actually going on. But that'll be soon enough. Any yeah. other... Oh, I had one more thought, which is like the, the focus on all the clothing in this chapter yeah. is, again, important just because, A, Sansa likes it. So she, yep. she spends time thinking about what Joffrey's wearing, his plush velvet, whatever, and like she spent hours choosing her jewelry, yada, yada, yada. Because again... She's still romanticizing this Disney princess version of she the is. world that she has. Meanwhile... 
all of these things are happening in front of her. That's why I think this is such a great chapter because she still has, why it was so important, I guess it was mm. told from Sansa's perspective, because she still has this glitzy, romantic version of what life should be like. Mm. And she is trying so hard to see those things that she's missing the ugliness that is happening and going on. Not that maybe she would have picked up on it because it's not obvious, but right. she's so distracted that it's not even on the radar. Ooh. At the same time, I mean, cl- I mean, clothes are a part of what Cersei is planning too. Like she dressed Joffrey like that for a reason. Yeah. She wants him to look royal and elegant and king-like and presentable. Mm-hmm. And Sansa chose what she chose and spent hours over it for a reason. She wants to appear demure and contrite and like someone you can have sympathy with. So yeah. she chose like a simple, I think the line was, I spent hours on my jewelry and I chose like a simple gold chain in the end or a silver chain because I want to look like humble. And and this this is this whole chapter is, is theater. It, it's political theater and she's a part of it. So So the clothes are important, I think. But yeah, I love your point. Anyway, any other thoughts about uh, thoughts about this chapter, Sansa Five? No, ready for uh, ready for the next batch here. And Karen says that Joffrey ruined that plan, which he completely yeah. does. That Cersei's plan, Karen says, was for Sansa to plea for for Ned. You know, uh, yeah, the plan for him to take go go take the black once he confessed. I I I I don't think that Sansa pleading was part of Cersei's plan. If it was, we don't get any indication of it. But I do think it played into her plan nicely, or she was able to work it in. But maybe not. It's possible. Anyway, next week, let's hit the next two. The next Eddard chapter. I believe mm-hmm. the last Eddard chapter ever. Oh, wow. It's not the execution, but it is, because uh, this is a spoiler, but we don't see his execution from his point of view. Mm. We see from someone else's. Prayers up, Ned. And then, uh, what did you say? Prayers up. Prayers up. <laughs> Prayers up. And then uh, a Catelyn chapter after that, where we Ooh. discuss Julie Davies' beautiful comment. Yes. All right, we'll be back here next week, guys, Wednesday at 4 p.m. Standard Time. Uh, just talk about more Game of Thrones, more Song of Rest and Fire. I guess you might be in here the whole time if uh, Cheryl is gone. I'm sitting in. You get a whole hour of me. Me and Josh Hill talking your ear off about Game of Thrones, Song of Rest and Fire next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Hope to see you there. Thank you so much for watching, and have a lovely day. <laughs>